MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations. Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. Okay, so Alexei, I want to talk about something that we sort of touched on this morning. And you might hate this, but I really want you to think about it. If you are killed, if this does happen, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? That's from the film Navalny, the stirring 2022 HBO documentary on the charismatic and courageous Russian opposition leader who died in somewhat mysterious circumstances last week. Alexei Navalny has survived Kremlin poison attacks, but as the whole world knows and millions are mourning, he was martyred in an Arctic prison camp, the exact date unknown. He was only 47 years old. Penal colonies for Russian dissidents are just one centuries-old leg of the Kremlin's massive security structure. Under the diminutive Vladimir Putin, a former middling KGB agent, Moscow's intelligence agencies have been revitalized in recent years with cash, heightened stature, and additional personnel. The multiple assassinations of dissidents at home and defectors abroad, often clumsily disguised as accidental falls from windows, speak for themselves. Kremlin disinformation operations, meanwhile, outright lies and deep fake videos meant to undermine rivals and adversaries are flooding social media in the West and Asia. To discuss all this, I called on Daniel Hoffman, a three-time former CIA station chief who spent a total of five years in Moscow before retiring in 2017. I called up to him during what he calls his sacred father and son time outside his home in Northern Virginia, where he was gently kicking around a soccer ball with his boy. Vladimir Putin's latest outrage was not going to keep him from that. Dan Hoffman, welcome back to Spy Talk. It's always uh, terrific to to uh, talk with you and gain your uh, longtime knowledge of what's going on in Russia. Two events this week, uh, of course, the Navalny assassination or death, um, and this guy Smirnov's involvement in peddling disinformation on the uh, Hunter Biden case, uh, according to a DOJ indictment, has focused our attention back on Russia as if we needed new attention, given the ongoing war and problems in, in, in Ukraine. I guess I, I, I got to ask you, as a veteran CIA operations guy with long experience with Russia, uh, what does the CIA or U.S. intelligence in general bring to the table right now to blunt uh, Russia's aggression in Ukraine and uh, disinformation operations worldwide? Well, let's just remember, you know, the CIA mission is just simply put, recruit spies and steal secrets. And when you're dealing with Russia, which is an incredibly opaque uh, society, and you've got the KGB operative in the Kremlin running the show there, you know, there's a premium on intelligence to know what Putin's plans and intentions are, specifically how he plans on doing harm to the United States and our uh, and our allies. Uh, specifically, in the two cases you mentioned, 
one, election interference with, with Smirnov and the extent to which the Russian, Russian intelligence used him to try to sow discord into our political process. And then on Navalny, uh, very interesting, just reflections. Uh, what was Vladimir Putin's calculus? Why now? I think we can, we could probably assess some of those reasons why he chose now this particular time to kill Navalny. And remember, he could only do it once, but he chose now. So the reason for that and then reflections in terms of how his security services view that assassination uh, and uh, and what you know further plans he has. Okay. And of course, you didn't mention it, but Ksenia Karolina, the dual citizen, uh, 33-year-old ballerina, also uh, detained. And Evan Gershkovich uh, it lost his appeal against his detention. Yeah. So Vladimir Putin is dialing up the pressure against the United States deliberately. Sure. So Bill Burns, CIA director, kind of taunted the Russians the other day, put out a statement saying, uh, you know, we're seeing what's going on in Russia, uh, corruption, terrorism, um, brutality, uh, failures by Russian intelligence, screw ups, um, and our doors are open for those of you who want to come over. What's the chance? I mean, we've always run on walk-ins, really. Um, you know, rare is the uh, cocktail party recruit <laughs> where a guy, you approach a guy and he says, yeah, I'll come over. Uh, often they make the pitch. They come to us and say, I want out or I'll help you in the famous case of Penkovsky during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So do you suspect there's a surge going on of, of Russian disaffection, intelligence officers coming over to our side. What do you hear? Well, I think when you've got over 300,000 Russian casualties as a result of Putin's barbaric war on Ukraine that has caused so much harm, he spilled so much of his own blood and treasure, let alone all the Ukrainian blood that he's spilled. I think you'll find lots of Russians who are disaffected with the war disaffected with the fact that Russia's on their knees right now, begging China to import their oil, begging North Korea for artillery and Iran for drones. Uh, you know, the Russians have had to do a lot of import substitution. They don't get all the products they used to get from Europe. And many of them, I think, who wish that they could, you know, even if they didn't, they were threatened by Europe because that's the bastion of democracy, uh, along with the United States, of course. Um, even though they were threatened by Europe, they like to send their kids to school there and they like to travel there. And that's, of course, not an option for them. And I think they may assess that Putin has made the country weaker and they want to do their patriotic duty, which might mean as Penkovsky did or the billion dollar spy Tolkachev did, that means sharing their secrets with the CIA. The CIA has put out three videos. They would not have, uh, have put that third one out if uh, the first two didn't work. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. How well did those work, do you think? I would only guess that they're working. Uh, during times like this, when Russia is up to no good in the world, you get uh, Russian officials and Russian intelligence officers who, who you know, really think hard about, uh, about their country's place in the world. And they know that they can trust the CIA and the United States to, uh, to serve their ultimate interests. Mm-hmm. Now, not long ago, a, a Russian helicopter pilot defected. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a, a good sign of the kind of uh, damage being suffered by Russian military and it's taking its toll. Unfortunately, that pilot, P-51, 
came to a very bad end in Spain. He decided to live kind of openly in Spain. And, and what it looks like is Russian assassins caught, caught up to him. Uh, that's got to uh, make uh, other pilots uh, think twice about uh, flying to the West. Exactly. Um, that's exactly why Vladimir Putin does that. You know, you're 100% right. He didn't need to kill opposition, you know, politician Boris Nemtsov, who was polling at like 2%, but he did back in 2015. He didn't need to kill or try to kill uh, Sergei Skripal, a military intelligence defector with a banned chemical nerve agent, Novichok, because Skripal was living in the UK and didn't really pose any threat to Putin, except that Vladimir Putin needs to demonstrate to his own people, his security services, that if they step out of line or betray him, then they're going to suffer the consequences. And that's why I think he decided to kill Navalny right now uh, within you know, a few weeks before presidential elections because he needs to show that he's still a ruthless dictator. Uh, otherwise, somebody might decide that time's up and they're going to move on to somebody else. And Vladimir Putin's yeah. not strong enough to handle things. Yeah, the message is all, uh, all hope is gone. Forget about it. Um, I suppose yeah. the real feather in his cap would be to take down a Russian defector in the United States. I, I know of a couple of defectors who are really laying low these days, not even seeing friends. Uh, yeah. They are so in fear for their lives. Yeah, I think certainly Vladimir Putin would like to do that. And he wants them all to know that, uh, again, if they, if they decide to betray him, you know, it reminds me of an old interview Putin did about 10 years ago with a sycophant Russian journalist who said to him, you know, Vladimir Vladimirovich, it seems like you could forgive anything. Is there anything you couldn't forgive? And Putin just looks at him with that steely-eyed glare and says, mm. eh, which means, you know, treachery. I can't, no one can betray me. Um, and that's just a classic, you know, KGB uh, approach to life. It's Vladimir Putin's asymmetric warfare on his own people and the rest of the world. For sure. One of the... Uh responses to Russian uh, intelligence aggression has been in Europe to expel some 600 uh, Russian intelligence officers. That's, that's a, that's a lot of people. Uh, How how do you, uh, how do you bounce back from a mass expulsion like that? How long does it take? If it happened to the CIA, if if 600 American intelligence assets were kicked out of Europe, yeah, I'm going to sound like the contrarian here, but I've never really been a huge fan of PNGs kicking Russians out. Look, Putin has plenty of other guys to step in and, and do those jobs. He's got illegals operating under non-official cover, but he actually welcomes this. That's why he chose to try to kill Skripal in 2018, past his prologue. That was also right before a big election. And Vladimir Putin uses those uh, expulsions to try to feed the narrative to his own people that he's the guy who's defending Russia, the besieged fortress. Look how the West treats us, mm. kicking out our officials. They shouldn't do that. And he'll give you that. You know, we know what he did and against Skripal, but it's you know not so plausibly deniable. There's breadcrumbs leading back to the Kremlin, but at the same time, he'll deny it and say that Russia's being mistreated. Mm. And that's the narrative he feeds to his people. So this is a very public way for him to say, hey, you know, this isn't right. Russia just wants to be, uh, you know, working with the West as an equal partner and all that those other lies, disinformation. And that's what he does. That's what he feeds his own people. Now, they're smart and they know it's not true, but they're apathetic and they're afraid that if they step out of line, they'll go to jail as well. 
Hmm. So he brandishes the expulsions as a mark of pride for him. And I suppose the other side of the coin is that he says, well, look what we've been doing. I mean, you know, he can say it's unfair, but the subtext, the unspoken subtext is that, hey, we're out there doing our spying job. Sure. I mean, he's the chief of station, Russia. Uh, of a country with a GDP the size of Italy's, you know, no disrespect to the Italians, but it's not like they're a real global superpower, except that they have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world. Um, that's what they do. You know, it's 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 extortion on a daily basis. That's what Kim Jong Un does. What the Iranians are doing with their proxy terrorists. Um, that's the new this century's axis of tyranny: Russia, China, North Korea, um, and Iran. Uh, and Russia's the midwife of that axis of tyranny because of the their war in Ukraine, which has forced them into this unholy alliance. Let me ask you about this, uh, Dan. Back in the day, early Cold War, uh, the U.S. brandished cultural weapons against the Soviet bloc, the Soviet Union and its uh, oppressed allies in Eastern Europe. Um, uh, C- CIA secretly funded magazines, uh, State Department promoted tours of, you know, Louis Armstrong to the Soviet Union, stuff like that. And that was considered pretty, you know, effective. You know, not a game changer or anything, but it was effective. He wrote it. It told the Russians what they were missing um, in literature and music and the arts and so on. Um, Is there any role for that now uh, on the part of the West and the United States? Yeah, I mean, I think is rock and roll is in rock and roll a big draw? I don't know, but there's a role for the truth penetrating those four nations I just mentioned. Because what scares this century's axis of tyranny is democracy. That's what scares them the most. And democracy is based on freedom of assembly and freedom of speech, and so and the truth. And so I think there's value there to. Uh, Ensuring that the truth breaks through those barriers and makes its way, you know, into into to Russian society, mm-hmm. um, they can get to it, and I think they do a pretty good job of of, of tech, with technology of, of of still tracking what's really going on in the world. But uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, I'm not really sure how all this ends. I don't know how ultimately the Putin regime will end. It's, it's awfully hard to predict things in Russia, but generally speaking, it ends a lot worse than we could have imagined. Although that wasn't the case when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, that went a lot better. I think than anyone could have imagined. Unbelievably. I was in a peaceful revolution. Um, yeah. Where the, uh, the, uh, communist just, uh, communist party just threw in the towel, so to speak, uh, under yeah. Gorbachev. Um, I don't see, you're the Russia guy, but I don't see anything like that possible today. Do you? I think if I were betting, the most likely scenario is that somebody even more ruthless than Vladimir Putin decides he's just not the guy anymore and they remove him. And whether that person is somebody who decides to blame the Ukraine war on Putin and withdraw to some extent from Ukraine in return for reestablishing productive relationships with Europe and the United States and not being on their knees in a, in a subordinate relationship with China and being dependent upon India and China for all their oil exports. And maybe somebody, maybe that's the best you could hope for. 
mm-hmm. worst is some worse ultra nationalist who decides to up the ante and and really try to win potentially who knows with mm-hmm, tactical mm-hmm. nuclear weapons as much as that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense why you would ever use those but couldn't rule it out i suppose all the more reason to for putin to display his brutality uh and uh wave it around as a as a medal on his chest uh and that uh there's no limit to his ruthlessness um right i mean i think i think uh, uh, honestly that the thing it's the admonition to politicians don't ever see Russia the way you wish they were. You got to remove the scales from your eyes and see them as they are. I remember when Secretary Blinken was talking about a stable and predictable relationship with Russia. Sure, you'd like to have that or a longer and stronger JCPOA like deal with Iran. Those aren't real. Anybody who was tracking those wickedly complex threats to our national security would have said no that's those things that's just not possible with those nations the best we can do is is try to deter and defend and counter them but um but those things just aren't in the offing right now with the leadership of those two nations Mm -hmm. um according to the royal united services institute uh the Russian intelligence has has been learning has been learning from its mistakes um, through better tradecraft training, compartmentation, uh, security yeah. arrangements, and so on. Their study was publicized in the Economist today. Um, what do you think of that? Is uh, Russians seem not to be a highly creative, adaptive uh, uh, society and system? Um, no, but they're. What do you think? I don't. I, yeah, the, careful. I mean, the Russians do a lot of things really poorly. Um, logistics, awful. Um, so many things are broken in their country, but they do some things well. You know, literature, um, ballet, vodka, um, and intelligence. You know, they're they're super good at uh, at recruiting spies and stealing secrets. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to make educated decisions all the time. Vladimir Putin's decision to invade Ukraine and the way they did it was a massive intelligence failure and a failure accurately to assess Ukraine's will and capacity to fight and Zelensky's capacity as a leader. But they're very good at what they do. And they're constantly um, trying to do better. So they're extremely sophisticated. Of all my time at CIA, of all the intelligence services I went up against, they were... I would say the most challenging. Mm, yeah. Incredibly so. 75 years or more worth of extraordinary successes. Dan, it's always great to get your wisdom on Russia and what's going on, what we can do against it. Thanks. Thanks for coming back on the Spy Talk Podcast. All right. Thanks, Jeff. And listen, uh, all the best to you. Thanks for having me on the program. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And that's it for this week's Spy Talk. Be sure to Check out our complete podcast archive on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, do check out the spytalk.co news site on Substack, where we offer a steady diet of scoops and original analyses from the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, and military operations. Just Google Spy Talk and you'll quickly find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast was smoothly produced, as always, by Kanai and edited by Molly Hockey for MSW Media. Oh, and that lovely melody you've been hearing, that's Dmitry Shostakovich's Andante from his second concerto. 
The composer was constantly in and out of favor with Soviet critics who called his work anti-proletarian. He died in 1975, struggling to be loyal to the end. Anyway, have a great week. I'm Jeff Stein for Spy Talk. See you around. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W-Media.